This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, for joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who, at one point, owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools, one who currently owns Eric Carlson in his keeper pool, but he's kind of letting me down lately. We'll get to him later on in the show. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Happy Grey Cup Day, or past the day after Grey Cup. Who'd you have? Toronto, Argonauts, Calgary, Stampeders. I didn't even know this was happening. It's happening right now in a very snowy field. This is like the one Canadian football event that Americans do find out about, and it's worth it. I think it's shaping up to be another great game this year, but we have hockey <laughs> to talk about. Isn't that what we're here for? It's funny that you say that Like this is the, the game that Americans care about. I literally did not hear one thing <laughs> about this game. Well, and I'm no, a usually, usually in like my, my general, like, Outside Canada sports sources, you know, someone's got a like. I'll come across a highlight of a of a Grey Cup clip. Sure, uh, okay. It, it's always an exciting game. It's, I, I'm sure it is. Yeah, a league with seven teams sounds like really exciting. But okay, why don't we talk about some fantasy hockey here? We are a fantasy hockey podcast. We are trying to be the best fantasy hockey podcast out there, and that's why we're so proud to be presented by the best fantasy hockey website out there. That's of course DauberHockey.com. They've got great articles every day. They've got these like feature articles all the time, really in-depth looks at players and if their play is sustainable or fleeting, you know, just like what we try to do on the podcast. A bunch of tools over on frozen pools, like the starting goalies and the line combinations. Like it's all there. Check it out, dauberhockey.com. They're great. But with that, let's get started, Brian. A lot to get to this week. I've got injuries for you. Out juries, of course. Some like interesting line changes on teams. I've got hot streaks, cold streaks. Got a whole slew of it. You ready? You ready to take this on? So ready. I'm going to ask you like 100 questions. And let's start at the top. The number one fantasy hockey headline of the week. Let's start in out juries. And let's go to Montreal. We have to start here because Carey Price finally returned from his injury against Buffalo yesterday. And guess what? Like nothing. 36 save shutout. Boom. Carey Price is back. Brian, you were already high on Price before when he was doing so badly. I remember suggesting, I don't know if you recall, like when he was playing so badly, I was like, this guy just needs to take a vacation, fake an injury. I had my little conspiracy theory. We'll never know if it was true or not. But clearly this time off helped, at least for this first game against Buffalo. You mentioned that you're only concerned about him. You were like, everything's going to be fine. My only concern is this injury. Does the fact that he had this dominant win against the Sabres ease your concerns? 
Does this dominant win ease my concerns? Does it ease your concerns is the question. My concerns were, okay, well, they were there. Like, I was worried about the injury. And, like, we can't get too excited about this. I'm not going to go around parading saying I was right about anything. It was Buffalo, the worst team in the league this year. Well, I guess you have Arizona competing, but certainly deserving of the title of the worst team in the league so far this year. So a nice game for him to come into get his feet wet again, get set. The question will be, can he continue it? I still think he'll be able to, assuming that he actually is 100% and the Canadians have not botched his injury recovery this time around. So are you feeling so good about him, Brian? Are you going to say he's like tier one? You're going to bump him above all those goalies that he, that are ahead of him in save percentage this year? Like, like you're fully in. You always were. So I guess we could just move on about Carey Price. Like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to squeeze something out of you. There's no reason to. I never said he wasn't tier one, so I'm just going to continue all along. If anyone's going to have to change their position, well, it's going to be one of us. You said he's not. I said he is. We'll see in a couple weeks. Yeah, I think this is the kind of thing where I'm very curious to see if this vacation has served him well and if he and the Habs can go on a nice streak. So, okay, Charlie Lindgren goes back to the minors. He had a 924 save percentage in his eight games that he plays. That was really good. He kind of struggled a bit at the end, but whatever. You know, he's young and hopefully we'll see him back. We'll mention him again on the podcast at some time. Obviously, you could drop him now if you're still holding on. Antony Yemi pulled off a not terrible game in his start at Nashville where the Habs lost 3-2 to in OT. So with Montoya injured, I guess Antony Yemi is the backup now on the Habs. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when Montoya is back, like what they'll do with those two goalies. I'm still, I know I kind of blew it. I really thought that betting against Niemi when he would play would be like easy money. And then they, they lost, but it was only a 3-2 OT loss. I'm still thinking that the next time Niemi plays would be a good bet to bet against him, but good for him to have like one more, if at all, like final game in the NHL. Uh, Brian, also on the Habs, Shea Weber has been day-to-day with a lower body injury now for a while. He's missed three games. Jeff Petrie scored a power play goal yesterday in his absence. It looks like Petrie's on the top unit right now with Pacioretty and Galchenyuk, Druin, and Shaw, who is there somehow, not doing anything there, but he's there. Is Jeff Petrie worth a stream while Weber is out? He was pointless in seven before the goal yesterday, so he hadn't been doing much, but top power play defensemen. They're usually not too easy to find. Yeah, only while Weber is out is he worthwhile. If you were the sort of person who needed to stream in Marco Scandella to beef up your D, uh, this is a similar situation, although it seems as though Weber could be back before long. Another Montreal defenseman, by the way, who's seen a bump with Weber out is Joe Morrow. He averaged 13 minutes over his first 11 games this year, and those games didn't include opening night, and he missed several others as a healthy scratch, but he's been leaned on lately. He's averaged over 20 minutes in his last four games, playing on the second power play unit, a goal and assist for two points, eight shots, and seven blocks in his last three games, but that's an even deeper cut than Jeff Petrie. Yeah, I have a feeling that, like, tweeted us if you're in a league where Joe Morrow is owned. I guess nice to see him going on a nice run. Petrie also helps with some peripherals. He's taken a bunch of shots, so he looks good in the short term on the top power play. Someone who's not looking good on the Habs, Max Pacioretty. He's pointless in six now. He started the season slow. We said, hold on, he'll be fine. He's, like, taking a ton of shots. Then he went on this great run. I felt like, oh, good. Like, I was smart. Like, Brian and I were smart. We helped you guys. We told you, hold on, don't worry about it. And then you guys would shower us with praise as Pacioretty would go on and have a great season. We were like, buy low. Now he's uh, cold again so is it going to be the same advice or are you seeing something different now in this current cold run he's playing on a line with Shaw and Dano and not having Weber can't be great for him so like he's not around great players that can't be good for him getting back to being like a sure thing 65 point guy this is what you would think 
But surprisingly, Pacioretty playing with Shaw and Deneau has been way more successful as a line than Pacioretty playing with Drun and Galchenyuk, which has been the second most common trio that Pacioretty has been a part of. Uh, playing with Shaw and Dano, Pacioretty's line has scored eight goals in 150 even-strength minutes. His line with Drun and Galchenyuk has failed to score in 50 even-strength minutes over 10 games together, and they're also getting filled in possession-wise. So that is why I'm not all that concerned about Max Pacioretty playing with Philip Deneau and Andrew Shaw, even though on the surface you, you would think you should be. Okay, so you're saying you're not worried about his line. Fine. What about this six-game pointless streak? Yeah, so going back to your original question, I, I have the same advice as before with Pacioretty. Just hang on. Weber being out is tough for everyone in Montreal and Pacioretty's even strength shot attempts over the last few games have waned a little bit, but... Not enough for me to think that this is going to be a trend. So hang on for now. Weber back on the top power play unit, hopefully before long, should at least help towards getting that piece of production back for Pacioretty. And I still think the rest will come. Okay, well, we'll check back in in a little bit. Sounds like you're saying don't sound the alarm bells yet. You're not seeing anything too scary in this lack of production. Uh, Okay, Brian, so one of the people who couldn't score on Carey Price yesterday was another guy who's back, Rasmus Ristolainen. He's back, and he's been playing two games now for the Sabres. He had a much nicer first game than his second game against the Habs. In his first game against the Oilers, he put up two assists, five shots, three hits, six blocks, like a super game. Then yesterday against the Habs, two shots, five hits, four blocks, no points, obviously, since Buffalo got shut out. But yeah, these are some beastly bangers and mash numbers to go along with the offense that should come from a top power play D-man who put up 45 points last year. In my opinion, Ristolainen is a must-add in any league where he was dropped while he was injured. I've heard like a couple of our patrons on Facebook were saying, oh, Ristolainen was dropped while he was injured. Should I add him? I'm surprised. I guess some leagues don't have enough IR spots for all of these injuries. Anyways, do you concur? Like, I feel like, yeah, he had a slow start of five points in 13 games, but I, I feel like he's going to be fine. And especially if you're counting hits and blocks, you've got to grab Ristolainen. I'm curious, like, what point pace are you expecting from him moving forward? You must add him for sure. He's actually available in, again, a surprising amount of my leagues because of a lack of IR spots. Probably not if your league has enough to 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 keep him in a safe place from for whoever drafted him. I would have Ristolainen in at a half point per game pace the rest of the way. Uh, and some might think that's too low because, hey, like he's the top power play guy. Others might think it's too high because, hey, he's on Buffalo. Uh, but as rough as Buffalo looks at even strength, their top power play is still... Uh, a talented enough collection of people to help Ristolainen get north of 20 points on the power play. So that's why I still have him. Like that's going to be what boosts him up to a half point per game pace. And it's also, as an aside, nice to see the blocks come back too since he's returned. We'll see if that holds up. Maybe another one of these players who just needed a little bit of vacation to get their head on straight. Maybe these injuries aren't so bad. We take them as such bad news when one of our players gets injured. Maybe an early season injury. Put a, put a pin in that. This is just an idea I had just right now. I wonder how good players are at bouncing back from early season injuries. Anyways, by, by the way, Brian, fun fact about the Buffalo Sabres. They currently have no defensemen who have scored a goal this year. They're the only team in that category. That's crazy, right? What's the likelihood that Ristolainen will be the first defenseman to score on Buffalo? I feel like it's like 80% likely. I'm going even higher, 95%. Who else is going to score it? Nathan Beaulieu? Scandella. Josh Georges? Jake McCabe? Victor Antipin? You don't think Scandella? I think Scandella's the second, like, most likely. Scandella had plenty of time to do it while Rose Salonen was out. 
I, you're right. I suppose he's probably the one with the next best chance. And it's going to be a fluke if it's anyone but Ristolainen. Yeah, this will be a fun thing to track. Uh, okay, another outchery. We're on the outchery section. I don't have to say another outchery. You know it's going to be another outchery. On Minnesota, Charlie Coyle is back. He wasn't in a great spot playing on line three with Tyler Ennis and Zach Mitchell for his first couple games back, but looks like he was finally promoted mid-game yesterday to play with Eric Stahl and Nino Niederreiter. He also saw a power play two-time with Stahl, Zucker, Marcus Foligno, Dumba, who, by the way, sometimes it looks like Jonas Brodin has been playing on the second power play instead of Marcus Foligno. Like, who really cares? But to give you a thorough analysis of the Minnesota second power play, there you go. So yeah, Charlie Coyle, he had two assists in three games before his injury. He's had a goal and an assist in four games since returning, though I feel like should we really even pay attention to what he's done so far since returning, since he was in the bottom six. Now we're expecting him to be in the top six next week. Coyle had 56 points last year. It was a breakout year for him. Are you expecting a similar pace this year or was he overachieving last year? Like all wild forwards, Charlie Coyle was overachieving last season, but not to an awful extent. In fact, he's probably the one who was producing most sustainably. So that's why last year he had 56 points. So I still like him to land close to 55 points this season. Okay, well, that's good news. And he's probably available in a lot of leagues. So take a look at 55 points. That's pretty good. You're saying pace. Yeah, pace for sure. If I wanted to, like, I'd say 50 to 55 point range, because of course, it depends on deployment. If he's bumped back out of this spot he's in now, and you know, the, the, the promotion seems to be just temporary. Of course, that's going to affect his pace the rest of the way. But in a good top six spot, I think he'll be good. 50 is too low, 50, closer to 55 than 50. How about that? I'm actually surprised you're usually so stingy with your point paces. I f- I was expecting you to say like maybe 50 point pace, considering last year was the first year he'd ever broken 50. But you like, you've always liked Charlie Coyle. I like Charlie Coyle. Okay. And so Brian, you know who is doing really well on Minnesota lately? I'll tell you, everyone, it's starting to look a lot like last year again. Like over the past two weeks, this is seven games. Mikhail Granlin, 10 points, 18 shots. Eric Stahl, nine points. Koivu, seven points. Again, in seven games. Niederreiter, seven points. All goals. Seven goals in seven games. Uh, Spurgeon's got five points in seven, though he's pointless in three. But whatever. Anyways, as I'm saying, like the top six, they're all doing really well. Zucker has five points in his last seven. Do you expect these productions to be somewhat sustainable? Like, which players are you liking? Which ones are you not? I know it's a broad question, but like, for example, Granlund, he had a slow start after returning from injury, but he's been on fire lately, along with his even strength and power play line mate, Miko Koivu. We said before that we didn't expect them to match our outputs from last year. Have you changed your mind on that during this amazing run? Like, basically, I'm going to give a throwback to keeping Carlson last year. How would you rank the Minnesota top six. I know I like asked you this every week last year, though it was usually asking about the Minnesota top nine, but we'll keep it to the top six right now. It's like Granlin, Stahl, Koivu, Niederreiter, Zucker, and Charlie Coyle. How are you liking all these guys? Okay, I'll rank them first. I'm going to go Stahl, Granlin, Koivu, Niederreiter, Coyle, Zucker. And like last year, it's still a bit of a mess. Like I still feel pretty strongly about Stahl and Granlin leading the way. Koivu's not that far behind. Niederreiter, Zucker, and Coyle is a bit of a crapshoot, depending on who's getting the best deployment of the bunch, if anyone of them happens to be able to work their way onto the top power play unit. It is about time that the Wilds started producing their current run as a team marks just the second time since the start of the year where they've managed to score three or more goals in three consecutive contests. I guess maybe I shouldn't say just. That's not totally fair. It's not an easy task to do. Um, But beyond that, They've actually scored three or more goals in six of their last seven. Two of those games were six-goal games to boot. 
and their top four scorers in that span. And I'm talking goals specifically. You had Niederreiter with seven goals, Granlund with four, Stahl and Zucker with three each. Uh, the bad news is they scored those goals on a quarter of the shots they took. And it's actually closer to a third of the shots they took if you take Stahl out of the equation, who was the, really the only one of that bunch shooting at a sustainable shooting percentage. So uh, it's nice to see that this group is still capable of hot runs, but that's what this is. More goals than usual are being scored right now, which of course is adding more chances for everyone else to pick apples. So I don't have any huge change in opinion on these guys and thinking that they're going to be able to repeat these numbers from last year, unless, of course, like last year, uh, they overachieve all season long, which is possible, as we'll talk about when we talk about the Golden Knights this week. Yeah, well, actually, I'm in a shallow league and Mikhail Granlin had been dropped early on and I just added him like yesterday or two days ago. I'm feeling really good about that. He had 70 points last year, even if he's only like 60, 65. That's probably, well, I don't know, really borderline worth owning in this league since he doesn't hit or block. Anyway, okay, Brian, let's go now to another outtree. Tori Krug returned for the Bruins after missing three games. No points, three shots versus Pittsburgh. Uh, he played again today, though, actually against Edmonton. And it looks like, oh yeah, two assists for Krug. Two shots, top power play time, everything that you'd expect. Like, you guys know the drill by now. Sell high on McAvoy and his three points in his last four games, or I guess now five games if you can. Like, it's probably too late. He was pointless in eight before Krug got injured, and he took over on power play one, got more ice time. So, like, McAvoy is always a good own, as we've seen this year, when Krug is down. Not so valuable in fantasy when Tory Krug is in the lineup. So, yeah, I think next, if Tory Krug gets injured again and McAvoy goes on a run, you know what to do. Try to trade him to someone who doesn't realize what's going on. Since we're on Boston, Brian, we got to mention, so Kudobin picked up two more wins since the last episode when we were interested in what was going on in the Boston Like It looked like Kudobin had taken the job temporarily. He played a bunch of games in a row, kept winning. He actually had a not-so-impressive last game. Like He had a really good 42-save shootout win over New Jersey earlier in the week, and then 4-3 uh 17 save win over pittsburgh recently so then i guess that's what prompted the coach to decide okay let's put rask back in he needs to play rask played today and he lost so you know he wasn't terrible 32 saves and three goals against so that works out to like a 914 save percentage but the bruins lost so it'll be interesting to see what they do for their next game it is against tampa bay so that could be a tough game and i feel like if i were the bruins i'd put in kudobin because he's the one on the hot streak and they're going to need to you know go with their hottest players if they want to try to beat the tampa bay lightning so yeah i guess we'll check in next week more i don't really have a question for you about the bruins net minders i feel like whatever you said last week probably still applies and we'll also bring up the bruins next week assuming Marshawn returns and we can finally talk about him in our outreach section Has hasn't happened yet though unfortunately rest did not have a terrible showing tonight and i think he at least made a case that he deserves to be still considered as as the default or de facto number one goalie until he really blows it on the flip side kudobin's 17 safe performance uh when he faced 20 shots on goal probably looked worse than it actually was so we're in a we're in an in-between part right now with the bruins lineup if you have Either of these guys, you probably want to cuff them with the other if you can and if you need to guarantee yourself some starts. Yeah, and if Kudobin is a free agent in your league, I still think it's worth adding him because Tukarask, you know, well, we'll see. Like, maybe his vacation, just like we've seen before, he didn't, you know, go on the injured reserve or anything, but he definitely took a break from playing games. I wonder if uh, that's going to help him bounce back. Nobody's injured in the NHL this year. Everyone's just taking vacations. (laughs) Yeah, it's a mental health break. 
But okay, uh, next outry, next vacation. Uh, Cam Fowler is back from his vacation. He returned to the Ducks on Monday. He has two points in four games so far. Interestingly, Vatanen and Montour have seemed to hold on to their power play one spot along with Perry, uh, Silverberg, and uh, Derek Grant. So we'll get to that soon. Uh, this Anaheim team can't avoid injuries. Anyways, let's talk about the D for now first. It looks like the top-producing Ducks D-man lately has been Brandon Montour, who had a nice three-game point streak going before going pointless in his last two. At this point, Brian, would you be interested in Fowler if he was in your free agency, if he's come back and he's not on the top power play? Or would you wait first for him to get consistent top power play time? And I guess in general, how would you rank the Ducks' top four D? Yes, that was my dog barking i'm just i'm gonna stop cutting every time she barks and sorry to say my dog is in the room right now you might hear her bark that is elon's dog cody named after the chicago blackhawks number one power play defenseman cody franson <laughs> but going back to who's <laughs> not true on, <laughs> going back to the, who's on the power play in anaheim i'm definitely interested in cam fowler even if he's not up there on the top power play right away uh, definitely worth an anticipatory ad. Have to think he'll get back up to his old spot QB being that top unit before long and that he didn't lose it just because he had to spend some time on the shelf. It's not like he did just leave the team to take a vacation. If you wanted me to rank all of the available Ducks defensemen, and I might be anticipating a question here. Yeah, I, would, I, don't, I don't know what you mean by available. I'm sure like all of them, the top four, right? Okay, yeah. Sorry, the relevant, the most relevant ones. I would still have Montour on top, but then Fowler, then Vatanen, then Lindholm. That's interesting. You say it's still Montour. I feel like before. I feel like this is a new take that you like Montour above Cam Fowler. I guess it's it's still because he's still on the top power play. Like if you're adding for the next two days and you know Fowler is going to still be available, uh, I would rather have Montour just until he is officially off that unit. But like I said, I would anticipate that Fowler gets a crack back in his old spot before too long. Okay, and like I mentioned, the top power play keeps looking sadder and sadder on Anaheim. They were already without Getzlaff, Eves, Kessler. Caché got up there, but then he got injured. Now, Ricard Raquel has an upper body injury and is day-to-day, so who knows how long he'll be out. So yesterday, the Ducks sported a top line of Derek Grant, Corey Perry, and Nick Ritchie. Then, like I said, Derek Grant got some top power play time. We'll see if that lasts. Do any of these Ducks players like Grant or Ritchie interest you at this point if they're going to be getting good deployment? They actually have a nice schedule next week. The Ducks play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, but like, with this lineup, it's hard to expect them to score too many goals. But again, like these are guys who might be available and might be top line, top power play guys. Yeah, sure. They're available and they are technically on the top line. But which of those three is really going to drive play to the extent that they produce like a top line? Uh, let's go into each one individually. After Derek Grant's five game point streak that we mentioned on the show, he has just two goals and no assists on 14 shots in his last 12 games. So. Just to be clear, two points in 12 games, barely averaging more than a shot per game. Nick Ritchie has just seven points in 20 games on the air. And Corey Perry picked up just about half of his production for the whole season in a run of five games in which he had four multi-point nights. And like, you can't hold that against the guy. He still has, like, it makes his numbers look good on the whole for the year, but I still don't consider him dependable. If you want to pick one, go with Perry. Keep your expectations low. To be honest, I might be just as interested in Jacob Silverberg right now playing with Cogliano and Chris Wagner than I would in at least two-thirds of that quote-unquote top line. 
Well, okay. Like, I mean, I assumed that Corey Perry is not available. I was mainly asking you if people should be adding someone who is available like Derek Grant or Nick Ritchie. It sounds like you're saying no. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. So, Brian, since we were talking about the Anaheim defenseman, let's veer off for a second and talk about a former Anaheim defenseman who I'd be curious to know if you think I'm nuts to say I'd want over, I think, all of the Anaheim defensemen, and that is Shea Theodore. We all know about his disappointing start of the season where he, like, began in the minors, and then he finally got called up, but he was getting low minutes and was being healthy scratched. I think we've said on the show, like, I don't know, guys, like, you might as well just get rid of Shea Theodore. It doesn't look like it's going to work for him this year. But lately, it looks like things are finally coming together for him over in Vegas. Theodore is now on a three-game point streak where he's played over 20 minutes a game. He's been on the top power play, so that's four points in his last three games. Two of them power play points along with seven shots. And he's even had a six block game versus San Jose. So it'd be really great in your bangers leagues if he can keep that up. Is it time to now pounce on Shea Theodore if he's still available? I feel, Brian, like we got very lucky. We just added him in our joint league. And this is not like a shallow league. There's pretty weak defensemen available. But whoever owned him dropped him a while back. Maybe everyone forgot about him. We just added him now. And I'm really excited to have him. I'd be curious to know who you would prefer between Theodore and the top Anaheim guys, so I guess, and Montour. Well, you you said it about Shea Theodore. We've all been waiting to see his deployment catch up with what our expectations were going into the year. And here we are getting more than 20 minutes a game, top power play, and he's making the most of it so far. So, uh, yeah, it's pounce time. Knowing, of course, that everything with Theodore is subject to change as this boost in deployment isn't anything that's been totally established yet. But for now, get him on your team. And I will take him ahead of whichever Anaheim guy, you just need to keep an eye on Shea Theodore and how he's being used so you don't get caught snoozing while Montour or Fowler are doing stuff and available to you. It's entirely possible that Theodore continues in his current deployment, but again, this is the longest we've seen him hold this role. Just need to take that cautionary grain of salt when you are trying to figure out what to expect from him for the next couple weeks. If I did prefer one of the Anaheim guys ahead of him, it would be Fowler, but with him not on the top unit yet, I think I still lean Theodore. It doesn't make sense. You just said before that you'd prefer Montour over Fowler. It's really, okay, you're right, because I am trying to just think about how many more games Montour has on the top unit, and my expectation is that he's going to have one, maybe two, before Fowler gets a turn, but I really have no idea what's going to happen. It's a really big mess, so it's really hard for me to project any of these guys I will take. And like even Theodore, I was going to say I wanted the certainty from Theodore, but there is none with him yet. There's hopeful certainty. I think I would go with him. Right. There's no certainty in life, but I feel like Shea Theodore is probably going to stay on the top power play. Like there's not too much competition for him compared to on Anaheim. Obviously he's young. They needed to, to work him there. Now he's there. He's doing well. Why would they bump him? And also, like I said, on Anaheim, they've been running two defensemen on the top power play. So it can just be Fowler and Montour. Like in general, is one player, or you can let me know if you just want to move on, but like between Fowler and Montour, since you first said Montour and now you say Fowler, like let's say they were both on the top power play. Is there one player who you just think is like a better player? Fowler. Okay. Well, good to know. And I like Shea Theodore. I think he's in a good spot now. And he's definitely on a more high scoring team like this Vegas team. I'm done with like, for now at least, saying that Vegas is like a huge fluke. Like, I don't know if I was actually saying that, but I know that's been a sentiment expressed on the podcast. But like, they're just scoring so many goals every game. Like, okay, so first of all, some sad news 
over there. Uh, David Perron is out with an upper body injury. The dude has 19 points in 21 games. That's a huge bummer for him having such a great season. Hopefully he'll be back soon. But Brian, I want to revisit one guy who I brought up last week. I know we've talked about Vegas a lot, so we won't go into like all these players again. But I want to revisit William Carlson because I feel like we kind of brushed by him last week. Like I asked you about him, then he sort of gave an answer about all the Vegas guys. But like William Carlson specifically, since we last talked about him, he's put up six points in his last three games, which brings him up to 22 points in 22 games on the season. Point per game, base Carlson. And I'm not talking about Eric Carlson. I'm talking about William Carlson on the Vegas Golden Knights. He's playing with an equally red hot Jonathan Marcheseau and also Riley Smith. Did I like ever ask you like who is this guy? Like who is William Carlson? Where did he come from? And is this production for real? Or would you be looking to sell high right now if you owned him? Well, here's the skinny on William Carlson. Everybody's second favorite Carlson at the moment, anyway. Uh, the second round pick of the Anaheim Ducks back in 2011. He was sent to Columbus as part of a trade when the Ducks acquired James Wisniewski, which was was a very memorable deal that made a lot of impact for both teams. Uh, Carlson then picked up 45 points over two seasons with Columbus. That's 15 goals, 30 assists in a baseball season's worth of games. And then, of course, uh, Carlson was left unprotected by Columbus in the expansion draft, ends up in Vegas, and now has 13 goals on 51 shots, which rams to a 26% shooting success rate. And that means that in 22 games with Vegas, William Carlson has nearly doubled the number of goals he'd scored in his previous 162 games. Uh, But of course, it's not just a hot hand and a high shooting percentage that's getting him there. He's playing with the top line minutes for the first time in his career. And he's also playing with the best line mates he's ever had in Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau. They're somewhat more talented than Matt Calvert, Josh Anderson, Renee Bork, Gregory Campbell, who he's played with in the past in Columbus. Carlson's on-ice rate stats have obviously spiked, though there's a much more subtle bump in his individual numbers. So a lot of the offense or the extra offense that's being created while he's on the ice this year is coming from his line mates rather than himself. You look back at his scouting report from when he was drafted, says that he's speedy, he's skilled, and can get nifty with offensive moves. And we've seen that, but I'm still not convinced. I mean, I'm getting tired of saying this and being wrong about it. So just consider that uh, when when you hear me, I'm not convinced He's that he's going to look more like a 55-point player. So I would be looking to sell him for someone who can get me for sure 60 points or more. Hmm. So you're getting sick of saying it, but you're going to say it anyways. <laughs> I'm still going to say it because that's where the data points. Like, I, you know me, I'm not going to change based on, like, I, I'm not going to have a whim or a, or a whimsical thought in the last couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to change my whole philosophy and player evaluation and projecting their points. I still have the exact same data that I, and and mindset that I've been working with. So I can't change that, but you can change your response to me sharing that viewpoint on the show. Right. And you're saying you as in the listener or you as in me? Everybody. Everybody okay. other than me. I'm well, not going to s- change what I say, but you can change how you respond to what I say. And and the wink, wink, nudge, nudge is like you ignore me. Ignore me on all my Vegas Golden Knights takes for as long as you want. You deserve that uh, carte blanche by now. Yeah, well, I guess in general, right? What's the point of this podcast? We're like looking into the numbers. We're trying our best to project what's going to happen. Obviously, no one knows. One of the big tools Brian uses is things like, you know, shooting percentages. And when they're too high, you expect them to come down and like things like that. So fair enough, Brian, I've got to say, and I like totally am not the type of person that knows how to watch hockey and like really appreciate like which team is like really good as you know, but I will say that I picked up Malcolm Subban in the couple of the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. And so I've been watching a couple of Vegas games. I'm doing some scouting 
thing. That's how I, that's how I uh, watch hockey and play fantasy hockey. I like to watch games of the players who I own. Anyway, Vegas has looked like they look like a really good team. Like I don't know how to sort of express this. I'm sure people on Twitter will like flame me now and be like, "Oh, but I have the possession." I don't know. I I didn't check to see like the numbers afterwards, but it just seemed like they were like taking lots of shots and and dominating. Like they look like a really good team. I don't know. I I'd be willing to bet you that that we'll be seeing them in the playoffs this year. Like they're just looking like a really good young like fast team. Yeah. You look at their chances to get into the playoffs and they position themselves really well already. It's not such a bold thing to say that they're going to make it. I mean, even if they've been buoyed by friendly percentages over the first quarter, we have to give them credit. We had a question on our Facebook group that that seemed uh, it was a great question. It was, is this uh, is what the Golden Knights are doing similar to like the way Colorado overperformed under Wah uh, in his first year coaching? I think it was. And no, they're a better team than that Colorado team was. They're not being bailed out as badly by their goalies. They're doing a better job at winning the shot attempt battle. But still, they shouldn't have scored as many goals as they have. And for the first chunk of the season, they shouldn't have stopped as many goals as they did. But they still get to keep all those standing points that they gathered throughout those times where their PDO, which is a number that we sometimes reference to, to refer to a team's amount of quote-unquote luck, or variance in their shooting and save percentages. But to get off that tangent, looking at some playoff projections already, um, Mika Blake McCurdy, also known uh, as the guy behind HockeyViz.com, he has a playoff prediction model that has Vegas with a seventh best chance to qualify in the West, up at 63%. And yeah, that's ahead of Chicago, Dallas, and Minnesota. Uh, Tyler Dello wrote this article where he looked at historically, after playing a quarter of the season, how many points you have, and and historically what teams with that same number of points have been able to do. And Vegas was the closest team to being a lock in the Pacific. Uh, it's not at all projecting like Mika Blake McCurdy's model about how they'll do in future games, just saying, hey, it's getting pretty hard to miss the playoffs if you have this many points so far. All this to say, I would be a fool to count the fourth best team so far this year out of the playoffs. They have a 9-1-0 home record which is very impressive and does make you wonder if teams are just very excited to visit Vegas. Uh, The third best team in the league are the New Jersey Devils. Elon, what do we think? Do we think they're as likely to make the playoffs as the Vegas Golden Knights? You know, I feel like a lot of people would start thinking that the NHL is just random and we shouldn't even put any stock into what teams are doing well if like Vegas and New Jersey are doing so well. I think a lot of people would say that. I'm not saying I'm saying that. I mean, Jersey... It's true. It's true. The NHL is a fairly random league. Like the margins of variance can really swing a lot. You know, over 82 games, you hope it evens out. But these things can happen. And we've seen playoff runs happen where or runs to the playoffs especially where teams who have no business being there still manage to get there yeah and we'll get to new jersey in a little bit like taylor hall is just being so amazing lately like it makes sense that they're winning all these games they have this guy who's like responsible for a couple goals a game just on his own yeah we will talk about him later in the show uh, but just to, to burst the bubble of any devils fans they are projected in mccurdy's model at a 43 percent chance of making the playoffs despite having uh, almost as many points as vegas so for that reason uh, we can conclude, I guess, that Vegas is a better team than New Jersey on the whole, or at least they're projected to be by this model. Um, and good for them. I don't know what to say anymore about Vegas. 
Okay, so let's move on. One more outjury. I'll just say really quickly, Marion Gabrick is back for the Kings. He's been playing on line three with Jokinen and a guy named Johnny Brodzinski. Uh, but he played on the top power play and he has a, an assist and three shots in two games so far. Is there any value here? Like, should people be looking to add Marion Gabrick? I assume not. No, no. Wake me up when Gabrick or any Kings forward not named Carter, Kopitar, Zafoli, or this year Brown sustains anything meaningful for more than a week. Yeah, it doesn't seem like being on that top power play is a guarantee of anything. Okay, Brian, before we get to our injuries and our line changes and our hot streaks and our cold streaks, let's take a second to thank our sponsor of this week's episode. And those are our friends over at FanDuel. FanDuel, Brian, it's pretty fun. Every time you play FanDuel, you get to pick your team from scratch. If you're excited about the Vegas Golden Knights, just grab a bunch of Golden Knights and then you could be happy. Even if you don't have any of them in your actual fantasy teams, you could just grab William Carlson and Marcia So and James Neal and then cheer like all the fans in Vegas when they keep scoring all of those goals. So yeah, I, I find FanDuel to be a lot of fun. There's new contests starting every day. You play whenever you want. There's something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from starting at just $1 going up to, I don't know, like a million dollars. I've never looked how high these contests Go. I know they started a dollar. You just pick a contest, choose your team, watch your score real time. Brian, we've been running this Keeping Carlson FanDuel League for a few weeks now, and I've been complaining on the show every single week about how I'm getting destroyed. But this week is different because, no, I didn't win, but I did come in fifth place, which got me in the money spot. My $2 turned into $4, so woohoo for me. But more excitingly is the fact that I didn't do so terribly I'm pretty I'm pretty happy about it, but I feel like I could still do better. You know, I took Tarasenko. Like, St. Louis beat Edmonton 8-3, to and I had a couple of guys there. I had Tarasenko, and I had Braden Shen. So now I wish I just picked more St. Louis guys. The team that won had Tarasenko and Shen and Jaden Schwartz. I feel like that's what you got to do. He also had Jake Allen. So that obviously helps. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to beating all of you, including the winner from last week, Go Habs Go 21. You are going down this Tuesday. So if you want to play, go to fanduel.com slash K-A-R-L. We have our contest every Tuesday and you could sign up for it on Monday night. Probably by the time you hear this podcast, it'll be time to sign up. So again, go to keepingcarlson.com slash fanduel or fanduel.com slash K-A-R-L. They both will take you to the same place. And let's see if you can take me down. Reigning fifth place champion, reigning fifth place. What's the word? I'm not the champion, but uh, I'm in the, I, I I was in the top five, top five, baby. Congratulations. That's something to be proud of. Better than me last week. I'll give you that. I was really hoping. I don't know. I'll never learn. I make my weekly mistake of thinking that somebody against Vancouver is going to do well. I did well on the forward side of that, but I also had Michael Neuverth thinking that at home against Vancouver, he's going to be able to handle his business. He did not. Uh, If you do want to join us this week, again, uh, that's great. If you're new, You can get free entry also into the NHL breakaway with thousands of dollars in cash prizes guaranteed to pay out when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with the promo code CARL. That's FanDuel.com, promo code K-A-R-L. And please remember, as we learned with one of our patrons this week, that this contest is void where prohibited. As is a lot of things in life are void where prohibited. You got to read and see if what you're doing is prohibited. Okay, uh, injuries time. Let's jump to some injuries. Let's start with one that hasn't actually caused the player to miss time, but maybe a player that's needed to take a vacation, and maybe this explains his slow start. News came out last Sunday that Joe Pavelski has been playing hurt lately with an undisclosed injury. So here's a quote from Coach Pete DeBoer. 
Joe's playing at not 100%. And I'll be honest, a lot of guys maybe even wouldn't be out there dealing with what he's dealing with. So obviously, Coach Pete, very proud of Joe Pavelski playing through his ailment. But you know who's not proud of him? His fantasy owners, because he was doing nothing for them. I'm sure they would have rather just had him in the IR and and have him heal and get someone who's going to get some points out of free agency. Anyways, funny enough, since the news has come out, Pavelski is on a three-game point streak. He's had an assist in each of his last three games. So maybe this only got announced as the injury was almost healed. So, Brian, I don't know what to make of this. Like, If Pavelski is injured, is this good news as it explains why he's been so ineffective on the score sheet and now we could finally expect him to do better moving forward because hopefully he's not injured anymore? Or is this bad news because you're finding out your player's injured and maybe he'll just continue to be bad? Like, If you were a Pavelski owner, how do you take this news? Uh, you don't take it so well. Uh, we'd speculated that maybe he was playing injured because there didn't seem to be much other explanation for why he hasn't looked right and why his points production has accordingly not looked right i may try if i'm a joe pavelski owner which i'm not but if i were i may try and sell while he's on the upswing because i drafted a 100 joe pavelski if he's not gonna sit take a vacation let this injury heal then i'm not as happy to carry an 80 percent joe pavelski all season long if i can help it Okay, so yeah, and by the way, Pavelski isn't the only shark waking up, so I'm curious if you'll have the same advice for people who own Brent Burns and Joe Thornton. Brent Burns has a three-game point streak himself, as does Joe Thornton, so like, I guess uh, I would ask, like, are the sad times over? All of them were on such cold streaks, and now finally, in the last three games, they've been getting points. Is this a mirage or a sign of things to come, finally, for all these sharks? I expected things to keep coming from both Brent Burns and Joe Thornton. Of course, if Joe Pavelski is at 80%, that does hurt them a little. But the Sharks as a whole, uh, they haven't been getting credit, or at least the credit that they deserve for their efforts. Going into tonight's matchups, they ranked 8th in the league and expected goals 4 per 60 minutes. But their actual goals 4 per 60 minutes puts them down at 29th out of 31 teams. That's a 21-rank difference even if you don't want to buy completely into expected goals being an accurate way to measure a team's efforts, that's still a massive gap. And the Sharks have deserved better from a simpler perspective that you'll probably agree with more easily. San Jose ranks 30th in the league in even strength shooting percentage down below 6%. That'll go up. And Burns, Thornton, Pavelski will benefit as well. And hey, maybe even Thomas Hurdle. Yeah, Hurdle was getting some top power play time. I don't think he got it last game. So you got to check the deployment there. I know for sure Hurdle's been playing on a line with Logan Couture. So that's good. Couture and like Bodker or whoever. Anyway, okay, Brian, another injury. Kyle Palmieri is out again. Broke his foot on Monday. Will be out four to six weeks. The guy cannot catch a break. He already was injured earlier in the year. You know, who else can't catch a break? Me. His fantasy owner who keeps struggling with his injury. And I was just thinking to myself at the start of the week, man, I really need to pick up a right wing because I, I don't have that many. Then Palmieri went down. We'll get to Dadanov later. He went down too. Very sad. But anyways, you guys don't care about me. You care about Kyle Palmieri and the New Jersey Devils. And you know, one player who is catching a break with Kyle Palmieri getting injured might be Jesper Bratt as he's been getting line one in power play one time with Taylor Hall. Though this time hasn't been as rosy as before. He scored a goal on Wednesday, but hasn't put up a point in the two games since. So like, I, if you recall, like before Jesper Bratt, when Palmieri was injured, was on that top line and top power play and just killing it. But still, like he might be worth looking at. I think he probably is playing with someone as great as Taylor Hall has been lately. 
Yesterday, it seems like the Hall, Brad, and Hisher line got broken up at some point. Hall switched to play with Boyle and Wood, so that's something to watch for tomorrow with the morning skate. Maybe if you have some time before you have to rush to add Jesper Brat, you could wait and just see like what the line combos are looking like going into tomorrow's game. But Brian, assuming Brad is playing with Hall and Hisher, would you be rushing to add him? I feel like it's hard to forget his amazing run in that spot last time Palmieri was out. I wouldn't put too much stock in these last two games, right? Yeah, I don't know if rushing is the word, but I would certainly be interested. During the last stretch that Palmieri was out, it was a six-game stretch. Brat had two goals, four assists, and three power play points in those six games. And anyone playing with Taylor Hall is getting to play with one of this year's best forwards in the NHL. So that's another plus. Yeah, okay. But Brian, another option might be to jump on Adam Henrique. He's been playing on the second line, I guess, with Stafford and Zajac, as well as on the top power play. And he has five points in his last four games, mostly from a one-goal-two-assist game versus Minnesota on Monday. Curious to know, who would you take between Henrique and Jesper Bratt right now? I think I would take Bratt. Henrique has just been so up and down. It's been a long time since we've seen real consistent production from him. He did have six points in six games to start the season, get everyone's attention, Then he had three points in his next 13 games, and now he's on the run again. I think it's helpful to him that Travis Zajac is back and that they're playing together, and that makes him worth considering as a stream, as he was like all of last year, and he was really hit or miss as that stream, but I'm not rushing to add him or as interested in adding him as I am Jesper Bratt. Yeah, that's fair. Might as well take a bigger swing. Brian, since we're here on New Jersey, do we need to make a bit of an about face from when we said that Will Butcher wouldn't be able to keep his great run from the start of the season up? Butcher, he now has five points in his last five games, two on the power plays, up to 18 points in 23 games on the season. So yeah, he like started, this is like the opposite of Pacioretty, right? Who started weak, we said, hold on, then he went strong, then he got weak again. Butcher's like done the opposite. He started strong, went weak for a little bit, but now he's on another hot streak. Curious, like, what are your thoughts right now on Will Butcher? Like, what kind of point pace are you expecting from him moving forward for the rest of the year? He seems to be locked in as a top power play defenseman on this New Jersey team. And that gives him some cachet for sure. He did just come off a stretch of 12 games in which he had just four points. Three of them were on the power play, so just one point at even strength for Will Butcher. But no doubt he's cashing in again lately. He's in that power play one spot. So he's worth a roster spot Uh, for the optimists who really want to believe in him. Four of the five points on his most recent run have been primary points for the pessimists. He's not going to score twice every five games as he has over the last five games when he's averaging fewer than two shots per game. So I think over the rest of the season, I don't know. I I feel like I'm going to be considered stingy here. I'm going to give him a 40-point pace the rest of the way. I know it doesn't sound very nice, but it's the best I can do. Maybe 45, but I think I'm also penalizing him a bit uh, because I'm keeping in mind that he's giving so little in peripherals also during that cold streak. As we talked about on the show, he was doing nothing for your lineup. That's fair. I guess if you're not like, you know, he's got to get some of that Charlie Coyle juju before you're going to give him any more than 40 to 45 points. Uh, okay, Brian, and since we've been talking about him, let's just mention Taylor Hall. So amazing. A goal and two assists versus Vancouver on Friday, a goal and an assist yesterday at Detroit. He's up to 26 points in 23 games on this season. 81 shots. Like just, oh, uh, you could just drool over these Taylor Hall numbers. I really don't see any reason why he shouldn't be able to hit like 70 points this year. Do you, do you concur? Love it. It's it's about time that Taylor Hall has a full, consistent, fantastic, knock on wood, healthy season. This could be the one. And if it is, yeah, 70 points for sure. 
Okay, so let's go to Pittsburgh. I'll just mention quickly, Malkin has missed a few games with an upper body injury. There was a chance he'd return yesterday, and then he didn't in the end. So that must mean he'll be back soon, right? I mean, you never know with Evgeny Malkin. Normally, I wouldn't bring this up, like an injury that might be over. But Malkin is like the type of player who you always have to get nervous about once he's injured. But anyway, in his absence, the Pens have been rolling the top six of Crosby, Hornquist, and Shiri, and then Gensel, Kessel, and Riley Sheehan. And Sheehan actually came from Detroit earlier in the season. I didn't even mention it on the podcast. Podcast. I thought like ah, this is not nothing. These peanuts. No one will care. But actually, Riley Sheehan has five points in his last six games. I imagine he won't keep this up, and he'll just get bumped once Malkin is back. But while Malkin is injured, this is a pretty good spot for Riley Sheehan, right? Maybe worth a look. Yeah, it is a good spot for Riley Sheehan. Although remember, he is Riley Sheehan who went seventy nine games without a goal last season before potting two in the final game of the season when he was still a Detroit Red Wing. He's already halfway there to that total with one goal. Look, he's not going to keep up this sort of production. The best he can do with this mini run is get his name penciled in on that list with Brian Russ, Patrick Hornquist, Connor Sheary, Jake Gensel as someone who gets a space in Pittsburgh's top six revolving door. But even that's optimistic. So yeah, just someone to keep in mind uh let's just take a look at the rest of this top six lately Crosby of course he has nine points in his last six games no surprise that he's bounced back like we said he would we weren't geniuses for saying it Phil Kessel's also on a great run of nine points in his last six Patrick Hornquist is someone interesting he was dropped in a couple of my leagues and I snagged him in both and I've been very happy with that decision he has six points in his last six games 26 shots in that span 19 hits again in six games so thank you very much to the people who dropped Patrick Hornquist you know, he's playing right now on a line with Crosby, who's hot. He's on the top power play most of the time. I don't see a reason why he can't bounce back to being the, you know, 50, 55-point guy that we expect him to be going into last season if he sticks with Sidney Crosby. I agree. Okay. And after we mentioned that Latang was losing some power play time to Schultz last week or the week before, he's been doing just fine. Like, Latang is on the top unit. We probably should have even said, like, don't even worry about it. Latang will just always be. Maybe we did say that. But yeah, Schultz has been on and off the top power play, but is on a nice run himself of three points in the last two games. He had two power play assists yesterday on the top power play with Latang, Kessel, Hornquist, and Crosby. Though keep in mind that once Malkin comes back, he'll be on the top power play. So maybe Justin Schultz will lose that spot. Or I guess you could be nervous and say that Latang will lose that spot sometime. I wouldn't be too worried about that. But anyway, just to say, if you're excited about Schultz's current run, keep that in mind that he might get bumped off that top power play. And yeah, Chris Letang doing fine for now. Malkin got injured. So far, Letang is fine and healthy. Hopefully, at least he'll keep it up and hopefully Malkin will be back soon. Brian, another injury that we have to bring up. Let's go to Florida. I hate this. We just found this out today. News came out earlier today that Evgeny Dadanov is out with a shoulder injury and it could be an extended absence. That's the quote. Oh no, this is like, ah, like he was doing really well. And he actually had a bit of a cold stretch. And I was going to bring him up on the show and be like, oh, is there something wrong with Evgeny Dadanov? And I was excited to be like, no, he's fine. You know, people go on cold streaks. We still on the top line, top power play. Well, not anymore. Not if he's going to have an extended absence. By the way, this is after the Panthers already lost Redeem Vada earlier in the week with an upper body injury. He got a puck to the face. So this is bad news for the Panthers. Worst news for all of the members of hashtag team Dadanov. Brian, do we now have to jump on hashtag team Sevier as Colton Sevier? was practicing on line one with Huberdeau and Barkov today. It looks like he's going to, at least for the game one of Florida without Dadanov, he'll be on that line. No word yet on who will take Dadanov's top power play spot. So it could be Sevier, but it could also be someone like Nick Bjugstad who took Verbata's spot on line two with Chocek and Jamie McGinn earlier in the week. So yeah, Brian, I guess here's my question to you. Are you rushing to add Colton Sevier or would you rush to add someone like Bjugstad who might get on the top power play? Like what's your take on what to do now if you have Dadanov and you have to fill that spot? 
What you do is you watch the Florida Panthers beat writers and line combinations before games and in practices very, very closely. Honestly, there's such a fall off after the top line in Florida that it's not at all obvious. Like nobody seems like they're an obvious choice to take a turn on line one. And so everyone's got a shot to step into Dadanov's spot. Colton Sevier, Nick Bugstad, Henrik Hapala, Jamie McGinn. I also have no idea if it's going to be a single guy who gets a long turn or if the Panthers are going to whip through a whole bunch of different combos. Who knows? Could Barkov and Huberto get split up? This is uncharted territory here. And the Panthers really have precious little to work with to keep their lineup competitive and like to consider how they're going to keep things going with what they've got, which was a a line one that was clicking and a line two that is driven hard by Vincent Trocek. So if I had to guess, I mean, I would take Sevier because he's the one who's been mentioned and Bjugstad ahead of the rest of the pack. But I I really don't know, Elon. It's somebody like I'm the guy who sort of sits back and waits to see what happens. And usually I, I miss the boat because I'm not willing to burn a move to jump on somebody who's who's like 40% of a sure thing. So how quick are you going to be to rush out and add any one of these guys as someone who owns Dadanov in your leagues? I own him in mine, but I don't know that I'm going to rush out for a replacement if I don't know who it's going to be or how he's going to be used. Well, I feel like Colton Sevier, they said he was practicing online one. So that's a pretty good spot. I feel like go grab Colton Sevier. Kind of sucks I do this podcast and my opponents in the couple are hearing me and maybe I'll have to bid some money to get Colton Sevier. But yeah, he's someone who I would be looking at since he'll be on that line with with uh, Barkov and Huberto, and they're so good to play with. Uh, I should mention, Bjorkstad has actually been having an okay season. He has 10 points in 22 games, so almost half point per game, taking a lot of shots lately, four yesterday versus Chicago, five versus Toronto. So with these injuries, he's getting an increased role and doing pretty well with it. Uh, okay, there's like you said, Henrik Hapala. He was called up recently. He has one assist in two games, but he's been playing in the bottom six, so I'd wait to see. He has no shots also in those two games. So I'd definitely wait to see something happen with him before rushing to add him. Sad situation for the Panthers. Sad situation for Dadanov owners, of course. Okay, next injury. Ryan McDonough has been out with an abdominal injury for the Rangers. He's missed three games now. Tough break for him. He was doing pretty well, even after his demotion to the second power play going into the season. McDonough has 12 points in 21 games on the year. That's a 47-point pace. That would be amazing if he could keep that up. But now he's injured, so we'll worry about that later. Is there anyone on the Rangers who you'd be considering to add in McDonough's absence? It looks like Nick Holden, Brandon Smith, and Brady Shea have all gotten some power play two-time recently. Shea has actually been okay lately. He had two assists versus Detroit on Friday, one assist the game before versus Carolina. Nothing today versus Vancouver. So I feel like Brady Shea is probably the next best defenseman on the Rangers if you want one, or maybe you just don't want any of them. It's the usual cast of characters in New York for the Rangers specifically that you would expect to step up in case someone gets demoted or injured uh, of the group. I think you've got it. Brady Shea has the most upside, so maybe you could grab him, but you probably can find more value elsewhere on your wire. Maybe I shouldn't say probably. Just have a look. Make sure first, and then you can go ahead and grab Brady Shea. Okay, and it's worth mentioning that the Rangers have changed up their forward lines recently. Today they ran with Zabanajad, Kreider, Buchnevich, and then Zuccarello, JT Miller, and Grabner, and then Nash, Hayes, and Jesper Fast. But that's not great news for Rick Nash, who's been bumped from the top six 
to the bottom six. And also Nash was already not on the top power play, right? So he's still on power play too, but no longer playing with Zuccarello. I was really liking Rick Nash going to the year. I thought he was like this really smart sleeper who most people didn't draft. And he was taking so many shots and he was on this like pretty decent line. But yeah, lately he hasn't been so good. He actually assisted on a Jimmy VC goal today, but that's his only second point in his last five games. He's only been taking one or two shots in these last five games, which is really disappointing. He was like at three, four shots a game before this stretch. I don't know if there's something like wrong with him. Maybe he needs to take a vacation. But yeah, with the Rangers only playing twice next week, is Nash just like a snoozer at this point? Or should people still be holding on to him, hoping he'd get back in the top six and get his shots back up? He might be a snoozer for the moment. His average time on ice is down by about a minute over the last handful of games compared to the first bunch of games. And that's bad news for someone who we've looked to as a volume guy this year. To be a volume guy, you need to get the volume minutes. And that's why I think Rick Nash seems like a pretty safe guy to drop right now who won't, you know, just jump onto your opponent's radar. I don't think anyone else nearly is going to be rushing to make a play for him. And then you can just try to be quick on the trigger if and when we see his deployment improve again, because he has proven himself worthwhile when he is getting the minutes and playing in a better spot in the lineup. Okay, so yeah, maybe moving forward, like for next week or something, I'll take a look and see if we can find anything on Twitter. Like, oh, tweet at us if you've heard anything. Like, why is Rick Nash getting demoted? Was the coach mad at him? Or did he just want to give JT Miller more of an opportunity to do something or just shake things up? Anyways, of course, since we're on the Rangers, we have to talk about Henrik Lundqvist, who's on a really great run. Four straight wins, five straight quality starts, including three of them where he had like zero or one goal against. So like Henrik Lundqvist, he's really on this nice run. And I feel like this is the first time in a while that we've seen him on like a really good run in a while. We've been talking about how he's so up and down, like a couple good games and a couple bad games. But here we are. He's back on a really good hot streak. Do you expect him to keep it up or are you expecting him to flame out for a couple of games soon enough? So got to give him some credit. Henrik Lundqvist is a top 10 goalie this year in even strength delta save percentage, which is the difference between a goalie's actual and expected save percentages as calculated over on Corsica.hockey. Uh, that's a good thing in 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 brief, simple terms. Uh, now, this isn't usually my style, but Lundqvist also does kind of seem like the type of guy who can keep rolling on momentum once he can get dialed in for a long enough time, which it seems like he's doing... But keep in mind that over the last couple of years, Lungvis has rarely been able to string together two or three consecutive good starts, let alone four. And heading into this run, Lungvis' quality start numbers were abysmal. Just seven quality starts in 16 tries, amounting to a rounded 44% quality start percentage. Anything under 50 is bad. Anything that far under 50 is pretty bad. So yeah, I'm not totally sold that Lungvis is going to keep this up in a consistent way. If you own him in a keeper league, This could be your last chance to sell him for good value. I would be trying to take advantage if I can't afford to send him away. Good point for sure. I'd be curious to know what people can get for him after this really strong run. Of course, there's his former backup goalie, Auntie Ranta, who's injured again. Another guy who's having really bad luck this year, just like Palmieri. Upper body injury. We don't know how long he'll be out. It's too bad. Like he finally put together a couple good games in a row. It seemed like he was helping the Coyotes get back on track as they were on a three-game winning streak before he went down in the 3-1 loss to San Jose. So yeah, I'm pretty bummed. I had owned Ranta in one league and I was excited to finally see him doing something. And then he went down with injury. But 
That's how it goes. Now Scott Wedgwood is the starter, and he had a decent start, stopping 23 of 25 shots in the 3-2 win over LA on Friday. But then yesterday he got blown up by, of course, the Vegas Golden Knights. He was actually looking okay, like no goals against in the first period, then three quick goals against in the second, and then he got pulled, and that was it for Scott Wedgwood for the night. Merrick Langenhammer came in and actually stopped 10 out of the 10 remaining shots that the Coyotes face. So I'd be curious to know, Brian, who do you think the Coyotes will go with on Tuesday at Edmonton? Do you just keep going with Langhammer, Langhammer or Langenhammer? I don't know. Anyways, whatever. It's crazy that we have to even talk about this guy on the podcast, but that's the situation right now <laughs> on Arizona. Do you think they go with him since he hasn't led in a goal yet since he's been called up? Or do you go back to Wedgwood, who's supposed to be their number one with Ranta out? My guess is that they go to Wedgwood, although obviously I have no inside info. My thought process is this. The Coyotes flipped a fifth rounder to New Jersey to acquire Wedgwood, and they waved Domingue to make room. So I'm guessing they'd like to see more of what he offers exactly. Langhammer, meanwhile, has been bumping around the Coyotes organization since 2015-16, spending time in the ECHL and AHL mostly. Uh, and that's why I think I would give Wedgwood a shot. There's a chance he's good, by the way, but that, that's also a function of him not having played enough games for us to really know. But I have not ruled him out as being a league average goalie. Okay, so I guess what I should have asked, kind of a very narrow question, just being like, who's going to start on Tuesday? Overall, Wedgwood is someone who you would potentially take a flyer on. If you're in a deep enough league where most starting go- or all starting goalies are owned, then you would jump on Wedgwood and Hotler, or is he the type of player that it's like you add him and then he's just going to potentially ruin your save percentage because you don't know much about him? If you were rolling with Ranta, I would give Wedgwood a shot. Not to say that I, I think he's going to be quite as good as Ranta. I don't know. But there's enough uh, enough upside there. For some reason, I think so. I cannot quantify or justify my position entirely. Okay, yeah. On the uh, mailbag show, the patron mailbag show last week, uh, which, by the way, people got our takes on Ranta's injury even more quickly because they get that uh, bonus content. And you can check out how to get the bonus content at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Anyways, you were like very high on Wedgwood. Now it seems like you're a little bit more tempered, which makes sense since you did well, just I'm get just, pulled. I'm just, on the mailbag show, I feel like I can... This is where I need that evidence to really back me up. The mailbag shows where we let loose a little bit and and give a little bit more of our opinions. And I just don't have any real hard evidence to back up my opinions on Wedgwood. It's just a hunch based on what I've seen from him, some numbers I've picked up and, well, whatever, whatever hunches come from. Yeah, that's reasonable. Hey, your hunches have gotten you to many fantasy hockey wins in the past when you've had to act quickly. By the way, one big difference between the mailbag show and the regular show is that on the regular show, I generally drink a Red Bull, which I did today, which is helping me talk so quickly. While on the mailbag show last week, I drank a beer and I was a little bit more loose. So you could hear two different sides of me, if you're curious. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I don't know if that is actually an advertisement or not. Anyway, since we're on Arizona, other sad Arizona news. Clayton Keller has been ice cold lately. He only has three assists in his last 10 games. Only 20 shots in that span. It's only two shots a game. Far cry from the huge point in shot paces he was putting on before this cold stretch. Looks like also Keller is off the Stepan line. Like at the start of the year, we were seeing Keller, Stepan, and Domi. And it was like, oh, that looks really good. Now all three of them have been on different lines. Yesterday they went with Keller, Fisher, and Richardson. Stepan with Tobias Ryder and Brendan Perlini. And then Domi with Duclair and Dvorak. So really spreading around these guys and a whole bunch of names there. I feel like we've mentioned almost all these people at some points that they've gone hot and cold throughout the years on Arizona. But overall, it doesn't look like a very deep lineup. 
what do you do with Clayton Keller? Like specifically in a one-year league right now, like we know he has great upside, but like I said, three points in his last 10 games and he's playing on a line. I'll repeat that with Christian Fisher and Brad Richardson. So he's not playing with great players. I think he's still on the top power play. So that's something. He was actually dropped in the cupful recently, which is a one-year league and it caused quite a stir. Like people were like, oh my God, like why would this person drop him? Maybe this patron knew what he was doing. <laughs> like, what do you think moving forward for Clayton Keller this year? If you have him, and I do in one of my leagues that even has a sort of shallow player pool, like Gensel is available to me right now, and I'm considering the switch, but I have limited moves. So that's why I think I'm going to hold Clayton Keller. I don't know what else you can really do. He's probably a really important part of early season success for you or a big contributor to your team's stats on the whole. And yeah, like he sure does seem more droppable than he did a week ago, but we also had to know regression was going to come into play eventually for Keller, who had been producing at an 87-point pace a month into the season. Now he's down to a much more reasonable 63-point pace, which still could be a touch high. So regression is how I'm going to answer this question. I'd say bear with him if you can, and if there aren't any obvious free agent ads in the meantime, hang on. <laughs> Brian, I don't know. That was kind of that was kind of like a non-answer. Like, what's gonna like what's gonna happen with him moving forward? Like, like I said, it's not just regression. Like his shots are down. Like, why is he taking fewer shots? Like he's on this worst line. Like it seems to me like he's uh like he's looking like someone who's not going to be able to put up those points he put up before unless he could increase his shots and play with better players. Like I like let's say for people who aren't in leagues with limited moves. In in that case, do you think he's droppable, or do you do you expect him to stay at this like sixty three point pace at least? You're really uh, holding my feet to the fire here, huh? I yeah. Look, I don't know how he's going to be deployed the rest of the year. I still consider him to be one of the top three most talented players in Arizona. So I expect him to get commensurate deployment, which is why I think everything's going to be okay. He's obviously getting less shots because he's playing fewer minutes. He's not getting the best opportunities that he was to start the year. I think he'll get back to them. What else? What's Arizona's choice otherwise? I don't know. They could just keep uh, losing or they could get like the, the, the strange thing is Derek Stepan, who had been hugely disappointing back when Keller was killing it. Now, like Stepan is doing great. They've like flipped. Stepan had two assists yesterday versus Vegas. He's now on a six game point streak with one goal and five assists in that span. He's now up to 15 points in 26 games on the season compared to Keller's 20 points. I'm curious to know, like, who do you think will end up with more points come your end? I know you don't want to answer these Clayton Keller questions, but uh, like, who do you like better moving forward between Stepan and Keller? Like, would you drop Keller for Stepan if you can make that move and like, you didn't have to worry about position considerations? Ugh, I don't know. I really don't. I'm sorry. I don't have a hot Clayton Keller take this week. I think I'll go Stepan, but if I had to guess, I would also say that Keller and Stepan's fortunes are going to be more intertwined the rest of the way than they've appeared to be so far. So there might not be enough distance between them for there to be a distance on the score sheet. But again, just, just guessing Arizona has really juggled lines a lot this year and there has not been a lot of consistency. So it's really hard to gauge what the rest of the season looks like. I do know, I still believe that Stepan Keller and Domi will be one, two, three in points. Of course, deployment is going to be a part of who actually ends up in what spot. Okay, I'll let this go for now. But I think we might have to bring up Clayton Keller again next week if he continues on this cold streak. Because his owners, I don't know, I'm one of them actually in one league also in the league that I have. I have the moves, but I, I also really enjoyed his production earlier on. So I, I'm willing to give him more time. So my answer would be to also hold on to him. But like 
It's getting like this, this lower number of shots is what bothers me. Like the three points in 10 games, stuff like that happens. These shots and these line mates, I don't like that. But okay, Brian, you said, by the way, one, two, three. Of course, you're only talking about forwards because if you weren't, then you'd probably also be including Oliver Ekman Larson in this discussion of top Arizona guys. He's the one who's been great, like pretty much all year round. And he's like doing really, really well this year. He's on a five game point streak and he's up to 17 points in 26 games on the season, which is good for a 54 point pace if he could keep it up. Do you think that Oliver Ekman Larson is overperforming or is this production sustainable? Like going into the season, I recall you being pretty confident that he would only be like a 45 point guy. That's what he's been for most years, except for that one year when he had that really good season and was closer to 55. Right now he's closer to that 55 again. Has his production been sustainable or do you think he's going to go back down soon? Well, I'm actually going to walk back what I just said about the top three Arizona scores and say OEL has a chance to be one of them. I'm looking to find a spot where Ekman Larson is enjoying an inordinate amount of variance that's boosting his numbers. And I honestly can't really. His IPP is about 10 points high, and that should be enough to put him back below a 50-point pace. But he is looking more than the 45-point player he's appeared to be over his career to date. And yes, I have staked my name to him being a 45-point player, but so far this year, looking better. The best part of all this, by the way, is that his shot's are back. He's on pace for 227, which isn't up there with Eggman Larson's highest highs, but is still up there nonetheless for a defenseman. And of course, blows last year's 145 shots out of the water. That paltry mark, he's actually already halfway to beating last year's full season shot on goal mark already. So good for Oliver Eggman Larson. Yeah, the thing is, we have to remember, last year he had that hand injury, apparently, for like the whole season. So it makes sense why he wasn't taking as many shots. And now it makes sense after his nice vacation over the summer. Uh, Brian, I think we've got, like, I think one of the words in the episode title this week should be vacation. I'm sure you could come, oh, Vegas vacation? I don't, I don't know. I, I'm throwing things out here. But yeah, Oliver Ekman Larson had that break. His hand seems to be better. He's doing great. Seems to me like he's closer to 55 than 45 this year, if I had to bet on it. Okay, let's... No, just to be clear, I'm going to cut in because we did anticipate the shots would come back. This is just announcing that they are back. I I didn't think the shots coming back was the key to him being a 50-point player or a 55-point player. Um, I guess I'm just reminding everybody that I am wrong or I'm changing my mind on Oliver ekman Larson based on what we've seen so far this year being uh, different enough from what we've seen in the last, well, his whole career. Yeah, and obviously the fact that he's getting these points, even when Arizona, you know, they're not blowing the league out of the water with all of their goals. So if he's able to get all these points, even while Arizona doesn't score very much, then that must mean that it's likely that he'll be able to somewhat keep it up, at least. Okay, so Brian, we're out of injuries. We're out of outjuries. I'm going to get to a roster moves section of the show, but I've only got one to report. But Calgary waived Eddie Lack. He went unclaimed, of course. And they called up another goalie named David Rittich, who played his first game yesterday, and he got the win over Colorado. He stopped 24, 26 shots. So it was a good game for David Rittich. So, Brian, I guess my classic question, who's David Rittich? Like, what do you know about this guy? Is he a highly touted prospect, someone that we're excited about for the future for the Calgary Flames? Or is he just like some guy that had a good game, but you wouldn't expect too much from him? Like I said last week, Mike Smith has been great overall in the year. He has 922 save percentage, but I'd be surprised if he could stay healthy all year long. So hopefully now that the Flames aren't rostering a guaranteed loss guy like Eddie Lack, they'll be able to, you know, rest Mike Smith a little bit more often without risking like just losing those games. So maybe Rittich will get some more games than Eddie Lack was getting. I'm curious to know like how high up the backup rankings would you rank David Rittich at this point as the backup on the Flames? 
Yeah, he'd be a reasonable choice as a backup goalie. Uh, the undrafted 24-year-old Czech netminder had been 5-1 and one this year in the AHL, posting a 931 save percentage before the call-up. Riddich also had a successful first pro season last year, going 15-11-1 with a 924 save percentage. So why not? give him a shot. I don't know if his presence means Smith sits more often, like he's still pretty untested, oh, completely untested at the NHL level, save for the one game he has under his belt now. But the Flames weren't seeming to get the number of games out of Eddie Lack that they'd hoped for. So maybe Smith can now rest once every four games or so, or at the very least, if he's hurt, they can feel, well, I don't know if they should feel more, they probably should feel more confident with anyone other than Eddie Lack, especially since Riddich has seen success in the AHL. If I were to rank him amongst the backups, who is and isn't a backup is a blurry proposition to figure out where that line is. The guy that I sort of have him aligned with right now is Corpus Salo, someone who's on a pretty good team who can step in and do a good job, although we're still not 100% sure exactly how each start is going to look. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see. Definitely, I think, keep your trigger finger on Rittich. Like, also, Mike Smith is known to get injured every once in a while, so he might get injured at some point. And like you said, at that point, make sure to add Rittich. I wouldn't have said that about Eddie Lack, but he's he's gone unclaimed. Unlike Niemi, I, I guess all these teams that uh, were so excited to claim Niemi, they're not as excited to claim Eddie Lack. I, to be fair, Niemi has had a better career overall. Anyways, Brian, okay, let's go into line combinations. Now, I want to talk about some players whose position has changed in their respective lineups. I want to start in Winnipeg. Jacob Truba, I just realized recently, he's no longer the power play two guy on the Jets. I always assumed it was Bufflin on top power play, and then Truba on the second one, but actually it's been Tyler Myers in that role on the second power play, and he's actually quietly putting up a really great season. Myers had two assists on Friday at Anaheim, and now has 11 points in 23 games on the season. Six of them are on the power play. That's a 39-point pace. That is rosterable in most leagues. The people should maybe take a look at Tyler Myers. Meanwhile, Jacob Truba has been playing less than 20 minutes a game, and he only has seven points in 23 games, only one point in his last nine games. Like, what's happened to Truba? Is he in the doghouse or something? He was so good last year, and so far he's been a huge disappointment. Would you swap Truba for Myers at this point if you could only choose between the two of them? Truba is now down almost four minutes of ice time per night on average compared to last year's number, and he's still a minute below his career low average time on ice to date. He's never played so little based on some post-game comments from Paul Maurice. uh, Apparently, he still believes in Truba being on the top pair that faces the opposition's top players. It doesn't sound like Truba's quite in the doghouse based on what I've read and heard, but maybe he's just being held to a higher standard and Maurice is not being so patient if he sees things not working out. Uh, Truba's offensive rate stats this year, if you're looking for production, they're down from what was already a pretty low number. I've been telling you that he's not someone to be presently relied on for offense, but his peripheral rate stats are actually up. So hopefully if his ice time does creep back up, he can help you out some more with hits and blocks. If I'm picking between him and Myers, I'm looking for points. I'm going Myers. Truba's pretty low on the defenseman production totem pole. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I agree with you. It's just surprising. Like, Truba was getting all those points. And I and last year, also, he was getting a lot of power play time. Like, I assumed if ever Dustin Bufflin gets injured, Truba was for sure going to be on the top power play. Now he's, like, not getting any power play time. So, surprising, I guess, how things change. Tyler Myers was injured for a lot last year. So, maybe they, Tyler Myers has always been liked better. But now he's finally getting the opportunity to show it. And like I said, he's doing well. Actually, Myers even currently has more points than the top power play defenseman, Dustin Bufflin, who is actually on an eight-game pointless streak right now. 
What are you thinking about Bufflin? Like, are you expecting him to bounce back? And this is just like a nice buy low opportunity? Or are you worried that this may be the end of the line for him? He's still taking a lot of shots and hitting a lot. But like I said, no points lately. You're right in a way that he's been doing okay. His hits per 60 minutes, his hit rates, uh, which you can find over at Natural Stat Trick, they've actually improved over last year. But his shot rates are actually down, which at this point of his career is to be expected. He's on pace for about 40 fewer shots than he notched last year. But even so, Bufflin has yet to score on 54 shots. So even if last year, like he had a low shooting percentage, it dropped. We thought maybe it's a new normal. We'll see what happens this year. Even if he doesn't exceed last year's low shooting percentage, which was in the 5-6% neighborhood, that would normally still be good, or 54 shots would normally still be good for Bufflin to score three or four goals. I, look, I think Bufflin's going to bounce back, but not quite up to previous heights. I would keep your expectations to 50 points rather than 50 plus. Hmm, yeah, so interesting. And yeah, Tyler Myers is in the wings if uh, Bufflin continues to struggle. Though I don't think he's going to get bumped from the top power play at least this year. 50 points is still pretty good for a defenseman, of course. Though probably people drafted him for a little bit more. Okay, let's go to Edmonton. They've shaken things up again. I feel like at this point, it's really hard to rely on line combinations in Edmonton for good reason. Like they're, they're struggling as a team. Like last week, we talked all about Drake Kajula playing with Connor McDavid. And we're like, oh, maybe he's good for a flyer. And he actually did okay. Like he got some points over the week, but now he's gone. The lines today were McDavid with Lucic and Mike Camilleri on the top line. So a nice improvement for Camilleri. There was even word that potentially Camilleri would play center and McDavid would play right wing, which could you imagine McDavid got right wing eligibility in fantasy? That would be huge for his owners, but obviously hasn't happened yet. I wouldn't get too excited. These lines could change in the next game though. Went okay today. Um, McDavid assisted on a goal from Adam Larson and Michael Camilleri got the other assist. So, and, and the Oilers won against the Bruins four to two. So maybe these lines will continue going into next week. I'll also mention, so line two what, or three, I guess it's hard to know what were the second and third lines. They went with Maroon, Ryan Eugene Hopkins and Slepeshev, and then Kajula with Dreisaitl and Ryan Strom. So I guess I'll ask for now, while these are the lines, is it time for people to jump on Camilleri on the top line? Is it maybe time to drop Pat Maroon, even though he actually scored a goal today, but he's off the McDavid line. And also, are you concerned about Leon Dreisaitl? Now, not only not playing with McDavid, but playing with Kajula and Strom, two guys who like were pretty much nothing. That is definitely a challenge for Leon Dreisaitl. You should be worried about the Oilers as a whole. It looks like uh, they're going down. They're not doing well. It's been a while that they've been on this downward slide. There has not been a lot of sunlight to believe that things are going to bounce back up. But as always, water is wet, grass is green. You want the guys who are playing with McDavid. When they're not playing with McDavid, you might not want them at all. Yeah, actually, Dreisaitl had a goal and an assist today, and his second goal right at the end of the third period was assisted by McDavid and Lucic, so maybe things just changed up there, but I have a feeling, well, we'll have to check again, like, yeah. but before you grab uh, Camilleri, like, check the line combinations before Tuesday's game and make sure he's actually still there, because these lines change all the time. Of course, and, and that's who I was sort of getting at with, with saying that's who you want playing with McDavid. Uh, McDavid, the only other unconditional own is Leon Dreisaitl. I don't mean to to put down what he's able to do away from McDavid. But like you said, it's going to be hard with his current line mates. How did the Oilers get so thin up front? I don't know. Taylor Hall's doing pretty good over in New Jersey. Anyways, okay. Uh, in St. Louis, there's some guy named Vince Dunn who was on the top power play for the Blues yesterday, along with Shen, Schwartz, Tarasenko, and Petrangelo. So yeah, Vince Dunn. He's a defenseman. He's five points of 24 games so far. I've literally never heard of him before I saw this yesterday. Any idea why he was there instead of like Steen or Stasny, who have been there before? Who's Vince Dunn? 
Vince Dunn is a second round draft pick, a late second round draft pick in 2015. He was picked by the Blues. First pro season was last year, played with Chicago of the AHL, had 45 points in 71 games. This year he has, well, you said five points in 24 games. I don't know, Elon. I don't know what he was doing on that top line. I haven't been able to find that info. In fact, you telling me, me finding out from you today was, to be honest, the first I had seen of it. So I guess we'll just watch and see if he stays there. I'm not going to count on that happening, though. I have no idea. I'm baffled. If anyone knows, tweet us. Yeah, so at Keith Carlson, if you want to tweet us. Yeah, something to watch. I wouldn't be rushing to add Vince Dunn, but definitely if he's going to stay on that top power play, and that's like a Tim Heed type situation, and he did okay on the top power play in San Jose, and I wasn't expecting that to happen. So let's watch and see what happens with this Vince Dunn situation. I'm sure it's a bummer for the Pareko owners who are like, oh, if uh, you want to put a defense on the top power play, Colton Pareko, he's right there. Just put him. But no, he stays on power play too. A uh, patron of ours recently lamented. He was telling us like, like that Alex Petrangelo has cooled off and he wishes he sold high and was really sad about it. So I mentioned, I took a look. I actually wrote, I read his note. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put down Petrangelo to look into for today's show. I took a look. Yeah, Petrangelo is pointless in two, but he put up three and five shots in those games. He has three goals and four assists in his last 10 games. So like, I'm not too worried. It looks like he's still doing really well. Like, I hope you weren't expecting him to keep up a point per game pace all the way through. I think seven points every 10 games, if he could give you that, that's great. Yeah, for sure. That's great. You If you held on to him, hoping that he was going to keep up exactly what he'd done in like the first eight or nine games of the year, uh, you were never going to get that. And you, to be honest, you were never going to get full value for that either if you tried to sell him. So don't feel too bad if you held on to him all this time to still have some really great production from a defenseman in your lineup. Yeah, and on a St. Louis team that keeps scoring, they're doing really well. Braden Shen, man, keeps producing. We already talked about him last week. Let's go to Washington. More line combo changes. Ovi and Kuznetsov have finally been split up. Ovechkin put up a hat-trick yesterday, playing with Backstrom and Tom Wilson. So now Ovechkin is on a three-game goal-scoring streak with five goals in those three games. Unsurprisingly, Nicholas Backstrom is on a three-game assist streak himself and has four assists in that span. Backstrom's already back up to 19 points in 24 games. So, you know, we talked about earlier when he was on that cold stretch. Might be a good time to buy low. Hopefully you did. Now he's back playing with Ovechkin and he's inching his way back to a point per game pace, which is something close to what you can usually expect from Nicholas Backstrom. Then the second line on Washington has been Oshie with Kuznetsov and Verana. And they're looking pretty good themselves. They're all at least a point per game or higher in the last three games. Obviously, small sample size, but that's how long it's been with these new line combinations. Verana has three goals overall in his last three games. Maybe worth another look now that he's back in the top six. I would think he was dropped down out of the top six for a while. And we said, forget about him. Now he's back. If he's a free agent, maybe people people should add him, right? Yeah, you should definitely add him. He's definitely worth another look now. Verana worked himself back from being a healthy scratch. And now he's up into the top six, which is probably where he should be when the alternative is someone like Devontae Smith-Pally or that Chandler guy. Chandler Stevenson. Who knows? Maybe he'll get back there. But right now, things are looking okay for Verona playing with Kuznetsov and TJ Oshie. Brian, what are we going to say about TJ Oshie? He's now up to 22 points in 25 games. He's going to match his 68-point pace from last year, isn't he? I feel like we, we kept saying all throughout the summer, and, you know, like, oh, there's no chance. He had such a high shooting percentage. No way he does it again. So far, he's held on to that same high shooting percentage that he had last year. It's like almost 100 games now of this like 23% shooting percentage. At what point do we have to say that maybe he can just keep this up? Well, hold the phone. If you are just looking at TJ Oshie's shooting percentages, 
you'll notice that not only has his shooting percentage remained steady, but his even strength shooting percentage is actually quite normal so far this year at 11%, which is right where he'd been for the last couple of years he'd spent in St. Louis. But this is all just a smokescreen because I am about to take TJ Oshie down a notch from what you think uh, he might be able Oshie to for do. sure doesn't care. You've been trying to take him down a notch forever, and he keeps on putting up near point-per-game paces. Okay, well, here's the thing about his production so far this year. Note that TJ Oshie has just three goals at even strength, and that's no doubt a function of a marked decline in his shot rates, which we actually weren't expecting the same way we were expecting his shooting percentage to regress. That was one thing we were expecting to see happen. We didn't, I didn't see his even string shot rates getting worse than they were last year, which should be harmful. However, lucky for him, his power play shooting percentage has pushed his full season number, his all situation shooting percentage number into the same low 20s neighborhood as it was last season. So you might say, hey, maybe he's now just a 22, 23% shooter. But then you look at what he's done with the man advantage, seven goals on 15 shots. You don't need me to do the math for you to know that that's nearly a 50% conversion rate, and it ain't going to last. Those seven goals match his power play goals, Mark, from all of last season, and that's where I'm going to expect to see a decline going forward. You can hope that Oshi keeps this pace, but I still see a real great sell-high opportunity, albeit one that would be difficult seeing him produce this way for coming up on 100 games, and that Washington power play is a well-oiled machine. And it's not as weird to have a wildly high shooting percentage there as it would be on most any other NHL team. That said, it is driving his goal scoring far too high, and he's not going to be able to continue producing at this pace for the second year in a row. (laughs) Okay, so Brian, what are you more confident in? uh, These Vegas players not scoring as much or Oshie not scoring as much moving forward? Can I say equally? Okay. Well, you said with Vegas, people shouldn't listen to you. Yeah, but Oshi people should. Okay. Uh, in Vancouver, it looks like Alex Edler is officially locked in as the top power play defenseman. On paper, this is a nice-looking top power play unit with Edler, then Brock Besser, Horvat, and the Sedins. And, and Edler was pointless today, but had three straight games with assists before that. He's been taking two or three shots in each of his last six games. He's had three or four blocks in most of those games as well. I feel like it's definitely looking like Alex Edler is worth a pickup at this time. Like we talked about Michael Delzato earlier in the season. Everything I liked about Delzato, I'm seeing in Alex Edler right now. Yeah, if you own Michael Delzato, you should own Edler now easy even if you didn't if you didn't jump on michael delzato i'm one of the people who didn't i am more enticed by alex edler yeah i mean it's just a couple years ago that alex edler was a pretty consistent fantasy only he was owned in most leagues then he got injured and he had all those issues it seems like when he's healthy and now that vancouver has some good players like you know before we didn't have horvat and besser on the top power play and at even strength to help him produce so yeah things are looking good for alex edler i would definitely grab him if you need a defenseman also on vancouver we've got louis erickson who's looking to be settling in very nicely on his line with the Sedin since he came back from injury. He scored today. He's up to three goals and three assists in his last five games. He's another guy that's probably available to you in your league, even though he's on this hot streak. So you might want to consider adding Louis Erickson at this point. And not just Louis Erickson, but how about the Sedins having meaningful fantasy production recently? Uh, before today's games, Henrik had four assists in his last three games. Of course, zero shots on goal. Very Henrik Sedin. And Daniel had four points in his last three games as well with two goals and two assists and six shots. So not quite the levels we're used to seeing from the Sedins. It's, I mean, it's really just a three-game sample. But it is a good thing for them that Louis Erickson is back in the lineup 
and all of that line is worth at least considering. Okay, so let's say like Daniel Sedin and Louis Erickson are available. Who would you take first? Erickson's on a hotter streak now. Daniel Sedin's on the top power play. Yeah, I think I'd take Daniel Sedin, then Louis Erickson, then Henrik Sedin. And Henrik, of course, goes to the bottom of the pile just because he doesn't get any shots on goal. Right. So obviously in a points only league, your ranking might be different. Maybe Henrik Sedin would be at the top of the list. Anyways, okay, let's, Brian, let's end the show. I've got a couple hot streaks and a couple cold streaks, both clumped together on the same team. So I'm excited. To tell you. First, I'm going to tell you that what do you want first, hot streaks or cold streaks? Give me the cold. Okay, we'll start cold. You know, start with the bad news and with the good news. I'm going to your favorite place, the place where this hat was probably, if not manufactured, then sold. Let's go to what Ottawa. Hat? What? What hat? Oh, right. This is an audio show, isn't it? I'm wearing my Eric Carlson hat. My Ottawa Senator's Eric Carlson hat. It's a red wow. hat. I'm also wearing a kind of reddish jumper, so they kind of match. I'm curious <laughs> to know what the people think. Anyone here in the chat room, let me know if you like my style for tonight. For those of you listening and wishing that you could be checking out my style for the night, we do this live every week, keepingcarlson.com slash live. <laughs> FYI. And a bonus show uh, for the patrons on Thursdays. But okay, we're going to Ottawa to talk about some cold streaks. Matt Duchesne and Eric Carlson. But let's start with Duchesne. He finally scored his first goal as a send yesterday in his eighth game. Looks like he was on a sweet-looking line with Hoffman and Stone. So they had shaken those up. The goal was on the power play, though. So it's not as if that line got any points. But is that power play goal a sign of things to come? Or should all the people who like held on to Duchesne forever waiting for this trade and they were so excited, should they start coming to grips with the fact that he's probably not much better than like a 55-point player? Tell me if that's even too high. No, I don't think that's too high. He's getting primo opportunities with Ottawa. He's getting great deployment. He's playing two more minutes per game with the Senators than he was with the Avalanche. He has 27 shots in eight games with Ottawa, so just over three shots per game with Colorado. He had 23 shots in 14 games, so four fewer shots in six more games. Ottawa is a very good place for Matt Duchesne to realize his potential, and it's going to happen. Like The upside might not be reached. We we would hope that he can get up to 65, 70 points as he did in his sophomore season and as he did uh, one time since then, but uh, at least now we should keep our expectations tempered until he does get rolling with the Senators. But still, I think a tempered expectation is reasonable to still be at 55. Okay, and so that's fine. Like, 55, fine. We'll see if he can do it. I guess if he stays on this line with Stone and Hoffman, like, I was kind of bummed about Duchesne not being on a line with Mark Stone, and he was playing with, like, who? It wasn't very good players, like Peugeot and someone, if I recall correctly. But anyways, if you could stay with Stone and Hoffman and be on the top power play, then you'd hope he'd get a 55-point pace. And Brian, Eric Carlson... Like, you know, you would have thought if we were going to be lauding a Carlson on an episode of our show, it wouldn't be William. But that that's how things are right now. Eric Carlson is pointless in six games. And I can't imagine that's happened too often in the past, like five years. Like, has there ever been a stretch where Eric Carlson went six games without a point? Like, I remember we talked about this earlier this season with Nick Backstrom. And it was like, when's the last time he's gone on such a cold streak? I can't remember a time when Carlson was pointless for so long. What is going on with him? He's having trouble scoring goals, Elon. Just one goal on 45 shots this season. That makes a 2.2% shooting success rate where he's used to seeing 7%. That's one issue here. Everything else is actually looking pretty good. He's still taking a very healthy number of shots, uh, not slowing down there. He had a five-shot game, six-shot game recently, a couple one-shot games, which isn't great, but uh, we focus on the good that Eric Carlson does here. He usually washes out those little 
those little spots of bad. And I think this spot of bad is also going to be washed out. One reason why he and Duchesne are struggling is because the Senators as a whole are struggling on the power play. The Ottawa power play has just one power play goal in their last 23 opportunities over six games. They have just three power play goals in their last nine games, which means that if you're starting any of them in fantasy, including Eric Carlson, including Matt Duchesne, including Hoffman, including Stone, including Broussard, you're seeing uh, less less on the score sheet. They're not getting those power play goals. It is a known problem, at least amongst the Ottawa fans. Unclear yet as to whether management is taking steps to remedy this disappointing power play. It's certainly being talked about. Um, I assume one way or another, though, it will still come back, whether they make super meaningful changes or not. Their shooting percentage on the power play will improve and they'll be able to score at least a little more often than once every six games with the man advantage. Brian, they already did address the problem. They traded tourists and all their prospects for Matt Duchesne. What more can they do? I don't think that was had anything to do with fixing the power play. Okay, let's go to a hot streak to end the show. We're going to the Islanders. I want to talk about Barzil and Letty. So let's start with Barzil. He's on a six-game point streak right now. He's up to 23 points in 23 games on the year. Point per game pace for Matt Barzil. Eight of those points are on the power play. The rest of his points have come from playing on his line with Eberly and Andrew Ladd. Before, like, um, you know, a few weeks ago, it seemed like Clayton Keller was running away with the Calder race. But at this point, Barzil, is he the front runner now that he's at a point per game? Or maybe Brock Besser, who has 22 points in 21 games? Like, I'm curious, Brian, like, forget about the Calder race. How would you rank Keller, Barzil, and Besser in terms of who you would like best for the rest of this year in fantasy? I think I'm going to go Besser. He seems to be the one who's going to get the most consistently good deployment. Barzil is doing great and is playing so well. Unfortunately for him, he seems pretty stuck on the second line, although he does get Jordan Eberle, which is a pretty good line mate on the second line. But he's missing out on that top line. He's missing out on that top power play, which is why he's not up there with Besser on my list. And Keller, well, he's being streaky. How can I like the guy right now? Brian, uh, Barzil's on the top power play. Don't sell him short. Sorry, top line is where I should have stopped that sentence. And also Brock Besser is on a line with Horvat and Berchi. And, you know, like maybe the top line of Vancouver, you could say, is Daniel Sedin, Henrik Sedin, and Louis Erickson. Like, I, I, I don't feel think like so. Brock's- that line has crushed it. I was granted on and off this year. And Besser sure has, you know, seen his production come and go as well. But on the whole, I'm pretty happy with that line. I, and I'm also sure. comparing to Keller being bumped down to not playing essentially as if he's not playing with step in, then he's nowhere in the lineup. Right. I would say Barzil. I like better because I think his power play that he's on that top power play with Tavares and company, you know, Bailey and Anders Lee and Nick Letty, who we'll get to in a second is it's they're killing it. And he's looking really good as a solid, like second line center on the top power play. It's tough. That's close. It's very exciting. And it'll be fun to see who ends up winning out for rookie of the year. We also have like butcher and some other players that we've talked about. It's been a really fun year for rookies. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about Letty. He's on fire himself. 10 points in his last seven games. He has 20 points in 23 games on the season. Is this like prime sell high time for Nick Letty? Or do you think he's going to beat his career high of 46 points, which he put up last year? He could. He could. Steady Letty, who's never been that exciting of a fantasy guy, is really crushing it over the last, well, couple years now. Uh, He had 40 points, essentially, in uh, the two years prior to last year, so two and three years ago. Then he had 46 last year in what was kind of a breakout, although not much changed. He still took similar amount of shots. He still got similar amount of minutes. He was just able to convert 
more often or get in on goals more often. And the same thing has happened this year. Now, his IPP is currently at a career high. Last year was a career high at 48%. This year, it's up to a rounded 57%, which is probably going to regress somewhat, which is why he's not going to come up with a, a season total of 75 points. But he seems to be a pretty safe bet for 45 points or maybe even more. Yeah, very exciting. Steady Letty, as people have called him in our Facebook group. He's been very steady, more than steady this year. He's been amazing. Yeah, this Islanders team, when they get hot, you know, they get a lot of they get a lot of points. If only their goalies could be more reliable, they could be a pretty great team. But that's a shame. Brian, we're done another show. Look at that. Wow, and just in time to watch the last two minutes of the Grey Cup. Really? Okay, you got two minutes? Well, then I got to really speed up here as I conclude our festivities. I hope you guys listening enjoyed what you heard. If you did, let us know. We like to hear. Tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. You could throw, throw us a good job, guys. Or even better, you could throw us a five-star review on iTunes with a good job, guys. We'd really appreciate it. It would help us out. If you want to become a patron of the show, last week I changed my voice. I tried my best to, uh, you know, ask for some patron support. It didn't work out that well. We didn't actually get any new patrons last week, but that's okay. Maybe this week. Check it out. KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. We offer lots of perks. We actually have a really fun new thing we're trying out on Wednesday, a patron hot takeoff where Brian, myself, and Dave Benton will be judging the hot takes of the patrons. So we're going to have some fun with that. And if you're interested in playing along or listening to that, you can get access to that and all of our other bonus content. Just sign up at KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. But with that... Let's cue the outro music. And Brian, I'm just going to pause for a long time now so you miss the rest of the Great Cup. Rude. Go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including we did have one new one. Welcome, Ethan C. Happy to have you. Enjoy the bonus episode this week. This show was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Statric, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. And thank you everyone again for listening. We'll catch you all with another live episode next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sons.